You're fed up with a 9 to 5. You've been working hard for years and you're just not seeing the results you want. You want to break free from a traditional career but don't know how? Business Breaks is here to help. Subscribe now and rate and review on your favourite podcast platform. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Business Breaks, the show that discusses all things business. I'm your host, Dante Healy, and today we have a very special guest on our podcast. Please welcome Daryl Canoose, a visionary at the intersection of technology and ancient wisdom. With over 25 years' experience, he specializes in consumer engagement technology. Daryl is the author of The Architect Way. Brilliant, which brilliantly adapts the Tao Te Ching for technology development, offering profound insights into systems thinking and application design. He is also the founder of Databaller LLC, a persuasive technology research and development firm based in Los Angeles. In his free time, Daryl creates sculptures using single strands of wire, aluminium, and copper. He is also a musician and has produced electronic and multi-instrumental music. Daryl uniquely combines his expertise in technology with a rich background in philosophy as well as the arts. So expect a captivating discussion full of innovative ideas where ancient philosophy meets modern technology, all from an enthusiastic speaker and spectacular conversationalist, Daryl. <laughs> Very, very, very big pleasure to have you on Business Breaks. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Thank you for going so deep on my on my resume. That's that's great. A great pleasure. And it was uh, interesting. I find your ideas and your background fascinating. But I guess to start off with, can you briefly share what inspired you to fuse the ancient wisdom of the Tao Te Ching with modern technology in your book? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I have been, uh, I think, as you mentioned, about 25 years in, in technology and building technology systems. My role is, has been primarily one of a solutions architect. So I, I'd you know, like to simplify that to folks and say it's in building something out of nothing. And that's, you know, you take an idea and let's build a technology system for that. And I've been doing that for, for many years and, and I, I really enjoy the work and it's, I really sort of found my passion with that. Also, in parallel, in my personal life, I've really been interested in Eastern philosophies and Buddhism, Advaita Vedanta. I was a lot of time kind of studying that and, and trying to understand the worldview there. And of course, Taoism and the Tao Te Ching was a book that that really spoke to me in a lot of ways. And I got a lot of value and, and uh, meaning out of, out of the book. And so I tried to incorporate that into my, into my personal life. And then... You know, over time, as you as you find a philosophy that works for you, and you find ideas that you think might have general application, you might see them start to creep into your professional life a little bit. But it was really about a year or two ago when I did a, a career move from one company to another, and I and I noticed two drastically different corporate cultures. That it it occurred to me that you know maybe there's something that there might be some universal mental model or framework for how do you, how you think about things that might help with folks 
in that situation where they might be experiencing something of a cultural whiplash. And so to be more specific, I was uh, working at Amazon, which had a very, very document-oriented culture, process-driven, very refined over the decades to to become you know, highly optimized in all of its data-driven decision-making, and moved from there over to, to take up a job at Canva, which was an entirely different environment. And they were much more freewheeling, a lot more in, driven by intuition, had a leader that was super charismatic and making decisions and calling the shots and incredibly successful at it, but an entirely different, a different way of, of operating. And so given that contrast and trying to you know figure out how I could fit in and where the real value was and what I was adding, I realized that I, I found myself coming back to these, you know, a lot of the ideas that that rang true to me in my personal life and through the Tao Te Ching around balance and simplicity and you know adaptability. And and these are things that I found had a universal application in 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 all cultures. And so corporate cultures. And so I felt that it was it would be a good opportunity to try and, and and formalize that and 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 write it down in some way, you know, communicate this to other folks because maybe they would also, you know, find it valuable. So that's how I got to to the point where I thought I'd write a book. Wow. And I can imagine two different, entirely different businesses, but both very, very well known, well recognized and yeah, I'm a customer of both. So, I mean, <laughs> uh, who who doesn't who doesn't know Amazon and Canva? So, yeah, that's that's absolutely fascinating. And um, as you say, you're moving from something that is process driven to something completely creative, but both very innovative. And I guess, in your own words, how would you describe the core principles of the Tao Te Ching? And their relevance in the technology industry, and if if I could extend that a bit further, what were the common principles across both organizations, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, sure. So when I talk about what I what I take away from the Tao Te Ching, I, I want to preface this to say that you know it's it's a it's a piece of work that is over 2,500 years old and has generations of folks who have gotten meaning from it. And, and every, it would be expected that people might take slightly different views on this. So I just want to you know say that up front and that I don't consider myself to be a, an authority per se on Taoism generally, only an expert in how to interpret good process, I think, out of, out of these kind of practical things. So, so the Tao Te Ching, the, the, it's a book about the fundamental nature of the universe and and how to operate in that universe with goodness and and virtue. And in that idea of goodness and virtue, harmony and endurance or sustainability are the key attributes of a universe when it's working well. And when we want to align with that in the best way possible, we follow a path that that develops a sense of interconnectedness, adaptability, balance, simplicity, and that when we try to embody these characteristics and these attributes, we'll find ourselves living in in greater harmony with the universe and aligned with it. And ultimately, when you when you live in this way, you'll find there's a the the term is Wu Wei that they talk about in, in Taoism. And it's translated variously as either something like effortless action. You could also think of it as kind of a flow state as a sort of popular kind of parallel to that kind of thinking of, of what Wu Wei is. And 
that's how you know when, or, or that that's a that's an ideal state to be in, and that's how you know when 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 all cylinders are clicking and when you're aligned with the universe and everything is in harmony, where you feel that the actions flow. And water is a very common metaphor that's used in in the Tao Te Ching to describe what is a uh, what, what that looks like and 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 how you flow. So, given that kind of worldview or view of the universe and, and its interconnectedness and adaptability, the the connection to all parts of our lives makes a lot of sense. You can see whether it's our, our relationships with other people, there's an interconnectedness, there's obviously virtue in being adaptable. You know, having balance in our relationships is important. Keeping things simple, I think it, you know, is something that you can you can definitely tell by the contrast when things get too complicated it's it's there's there's clearly some some value in simplicity and so technology represents one one of those aspects of our lives and so it's it's natural to see how these same attributes could be positively applied to technology and technology systems in particular when you think about interconnectedness in the way that all of systems just, generally speaking, connect, share data, you know, the whole world of APIs is built on the premise of, of interconnections. And so that overlay, that idea of, you know, idealist and, and, and virtuous development of whether it's relationships or the, or the universe works well with technology as well. And in terms of like how that how that might manifest in in the two different corporate cultures that that I described earlier, simplicity I think is probably the easiest one to recognize where it delivers the, the most immediate value, and th- that the idea of simplicity when you're working through in technology systems and, and or trying to develop them and you've got very sophisticated organizations that have a, a history of initiatives and and objectives and and priorities really being able to, you know, pause and ask, you know, where's the value? Where's the real core piece of, of, I guess, value that the company is looking for or that's in your initiative. And that, that, that is a, is a relatively universal kind of foundational point. I think that you can make in any of those, of those cultures, which is why the, 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 subtitle of the of the book it's it's the architect way but the subtitle is the requirements for a universal framework with the with the idea being that a, a universal framework should be it could be another term for this kind of practical philosophy this sort of taoist approach one that can be an, an underlying set of principles that you can apply in any context so simplicity which naturally starts leading to balance where you start asking yourself what are the trade-offs and so kind of flows from there Sounds great. And thank you for sharing that. And it sounds, I mean, there's a lot to unpick from what you just said, <laughs> but if I just pick on a couple of ideas and we, we go back to the Tao Te Ching relating to Taoist principles, how do the ideas of interconnectedness and adaptability apply in this current fast paced and continuously ever-changing world of technology Mm -hmm. yeah so we'll find that as we as we think about taking the taoist principles and and applying them into our decision making and strategizing and technology development it initially it'll start to feel a bit like a checklist of, of stuff of you know like okay am i considering the interconnectivity and am i considering adaptability and so on 
And so, and so that's what it'll feel like at first. And over time, I think you'll start to develop intuitions. But the 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 importance of that and the value of that is initially, if you if you just think at a at a kind of a macro level about all the the practical implications of the interconnectivity in in, in the world, and so I think just all, all the the core disruptions that happen when something like AWS services, you know, have issues and like half mm-hmm. the internet starts to, starts to go down or when Slack, you know, is out for a bit and all the businesses that, you know, suddenly, you know, cease to operate. We are, you know, we're connected in ways that we don't really realize until those connections start to get, start to get broken. And so understanding the interconnectedness and planning for it and maintaining the, you know the the right kind of balance and the the adaptability to 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 kind of flex with changes in 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 our connectedness it's a it's a pretty key part of making the the world you know this this interconnected technology environment continue to work for us going forward so recognizing interconnectedness and then use the adaptability to ensure sustainability for your for your systems durability you know those kind of things yeah and i i guess it must be a tricky balancing act the more complicated the systems are i know uh simplicity is the ideal but sometimes there's pressure from the business like the market changes taste change and you need to stack different features especially in digital products and mm-hmm. when they're interconnected you you either you either take the time to look at all of the individual parts but they may have been built up over years. So sometimes it's just a question of layering what you, what you need over what you already have and hoping it fits. <laughs> um, yeah. Can you provide a, mm. a, an example from your career that sticks out in regard to that? <clears throat> yeah. So one thing you mentioned, I think that was, that was really interesting was the, the kind of s- stacking of features over time and, the, and complexity that emerges because business leaders want new features and, and functions mm-hmm. and stuff. There's, this is, I, I think where it may feel like it's in, in contrast to simplicity, but if you, if you are from the beginning, have simplicity as a, as an, as an ideal or as a goal that you're, that you're searching for, I think you'll make decisions around, for example, standards to, to be applied so that when, mm-hmm. when there's new, integrations that are required to deliver a feature if all of the systems that are potentially integrating are all on the same standard that's a you know it's a form of simplicity that will make all your future integrations easier it'll allow you to respond more quickly to leadership requests for new features because you've got standards in place and so you know the it would be you know one example might be standardizing on rest apis versus for example like soap based apis or some other kind of xml type of of interchange there's tons of different formats and ways in which you can do integrations. Simplify that down to to one that 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 works that you can just kind of commit to and understand what the balance and trade-offs are and having made that choice. But then that will allow you to be more adaptable in mm-hmm. the future. And it's it's almost counterintuitive in how the simplicity of of adopting a single protocol might actually lead to greater adaptability. But that actually is how, you know, that it's the adaptability in, in terms of your ability to respond to the business and, and their needs mm-hmm. and stuff. And so, in, you know, in terms of specific examples from my career, I worked at Activision for a while on the Call of Duty video game franchise. And they, the way 
th- those the games at that time had had primarily been delivered was on a disc. You'd go to GameStop or wherever, and you'd buy the disc, and you'd stick it in the Xbox, and you would play. And it was internet connected in the sense, you know, obviously because you would have you know multiplayer games and that kind of thing. But it but it had a relatively self contained ecosystem in that way. And my role was to develop engagement systems that that we could use to reach out to players who were not playing the game and encourage them to come back and you know and play and we could do this by giving them you know some of their stats and a you know a roundup of you know things that may have happened while they were gone new modes new features and that type of stuff but it required understanding their their gameplay and the data and so it was the the first real opportunity that i had to advocate within the company the ideas of, like I mentioned, common data exchanges and and the interconnectedness and adaptability, because we needed to be able to take data formats that were coming out of a out of a video game, translate those into content management systems, take the content from the content management systems, and deliver those out to players in you know on their mobile devices, for example, and somehow connect that back through to their to having them play the video games again. And that cycle of you know of the the way the data is generated and connecting it all together and having it done in a in a easy and responsive way was a was a was a pretty good illustration of, of how that interconnectedness and 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 simplicity could really benefit the business nice and yeah it sounds like it has value it's clearly a lot of value in terms of providing a guide and um, as you say a framework for me a framework is like that kind of the building blocks of something that allows you to move forward. So it's process driven to an extent. Obviously, you customize it. And 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 for technology professionals, you know, there's there's obviously that the kind of segregation in a business between the tech people and the business people. And sometimes the tech technology people need context for the solutions they're developing because they may be deep into code rather than understanding the business problem that they're solving for. But um, are you able to walk us through how these princip- these universal principles c- can guide decision-making in technology and lead to better outcomes? Yeah. Uh, so I would say that the, the, there's a couple different dimensions in which I th- think that these can be applied. And so you can look at them on the one hand of – team dynamics and so we'll say uh, my, my two common examples that i think are scenarios that, that, that people are probably familiar with is when you've got small teams that that move quickly oftentimes they'll be, move really quickly to deliver features and to get stuff out and show value there's some shortcuts and technical debt that gets amassed pretty quickly and then you end up down the road realizing that like now either you've got a bunch of legacy code or you've got something you need to go back to and and you know spend a lot of time to retrofit into whatever your new your new path is and so in, those are those are the cases where I would say, uh, you know, uh, understanding understanding what simplicity and balance can do for you, understanding there's the the that interconnectedness, even if it's not a thing that 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 surfaces right immediately up front, keeping it in mind for the future and and putting building in the adaptability of your system will at first appear as though you may be investing heavily in things that might be be slowing you down. I would assert, though, that by doing that work and doing that up front, you'll find that you'll end up moving much faster. You know, in, you'll see immediate returns on your speed and, and and deliverability soon after that, and you'll have something that's a solid base that you don't need to go back to and revisit. 
so that that's one kind of one way in which you know uh, small teams can adopt this philosophy and I think you know get better returns and, and better bang for their buck on their development efforts. The other kind of counterpoint to that is in large organizations where you have technology teams that are building out component features of some bigger system, siloing ends up becoming a big problem. And it's not uncommon for whether it's, you know, technical product leads or engineering leads to recognize the need for certain features that are adjacent to the thing that they're building and they start building that themselves and not knowing that maybe there's another team that's already kind of building that feature or already sort of has that in mind. And so I think that these, these this philosophy of the Tao Te Ching of, around simplicity and, and the interconnectedness can help to break down those silos. And, and if you can pause and ask yourself, what's the core value of the feature that I'm building? And know that you're going to be connecting to other teams and other and other folks to look around, you know, look outside of your potential silo and see where others are, what others are doing and, and you know, take that into consideration. And, and I think you'll just, you'll find you'll have, you know, more success in, in your products overall. So the team dynamic, I think is definitely one of those that, that where well, there's a lot of benefit. Then there's actual technology development itself. And so when you think about building a centralized data store, for example, and it's, it's needs to, to feed, feed out to various APIs, if that's, if that's happens to be what your application model is understanding and asking yourself that, you know, the, where all the potential trade-offs are and how you balance those is a really important part of making sure that you're successful. So the, the real most common example in, in data uh, store development might be balancing security versus availability. You know, you want to protect the data and you want to make sure that it's, that it's, you know, encrypted in a, in a way that it, that doesn't potentially uh, put it in jeopardy of for bad actors or whatever, but you do also still want to make sure that your users can access it quickly and that you have good performance in your application. There's no latency and, and all that kind of stuff. And so there's lots and lots of points that, that, or attributes of systems that have those same kinds of trade-offs, mm-hmm. latency versus durability, what have you. And so when you take in the, the, these kind of, these principles, you'll, you start to ask you, you'll, you'll ask yourself what, what systems in harmony look like. And I should also say that, that, you know, as I mentioned this before, it kind of feels a bit like a checklist where you say like, okay, well, what are the, you know, what are the connections going to be? How can I adapt to those? Where do I need to add extra balance on my trade-offs and, and where's the value for the simplicity? The, 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 the hope is, you know, the, the, the aspiration is to, to take this thing that feels like a checklist at first, but recognize how they all work together and how harmony is produced from these things. And that eventually it starts to become an intuition. And so you don't actually, it doesn't actually feel like a chess checklist. It feels more like you just can look at a system and you can say, you can, it'll, it'll kind of pop out to you. Where, where's the imbalance? Where's the disharmony? Where, what hasn't been considered? And that intuition that is, you know, what I would say is in kind of another way of referencing how Wu Wei or the effortless action and kind of flow states can can come to you even as a technologist you just kind of look at systems and sort of get where they're at and i'll say one of the 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 things that comes up a few times in in the book which i think is an important thing to sort of keep in mind is that documentation is incredibly important and everybody should should recognize the value of, of documentation it's possible to over-document. It's possible to get yourself in, you know, boxed into a set of documents that like either now limit your adaptability or, or obscure 
your visibility into what's actually happening in terms of you know connected systems and the overall health and harmony of your of the technical ecosystem that you're building yeah that makes sense and um i guess there's a lot in there and um, the overarching theme i think is the idea of data and um, as you mentioned with documentation it can it can certainly guide you but it can hinder you if you're not careful and the technology industry really relies heavily on data-driven decisions how does Taoist philosophy align with the methodologies and models used in data-driven decision-making? Well, I think that the, there's two, I mean, there's probably more, but to oversimplify, at the yeah. risk of oversimplification of <laughs> the topic, huh. there, there might be two categories of decision-making worth mm. contemplating here. And so there's the one that is, that is, you know, in the realm of, of data-driven decisions, which I'm obviously I'm a huge fan of, I, the, the systems that I build are all you know data data-driven applications. The questions of optimization and efficiency are are by far overwhelmingly improved through effective use of data and measurement, experimentation, A/B testing, that, that kind of thing, and so those. So that constitutes one category. Generally speaking, and I'm sure that there's probably some exceptions to this, but but generally speaking, those ones are kind of post-objective identification. Mm-hmm. So we know what it is that we're trying to do, and we're just trying to make decisions on how to get there in the most efficient and effective way and to, to maximize the returns on that that decision. So mm-hmm. should we put up, you know, what type of creative should we use that to be most engaging for our customers is a common question, right? You don't necessarily need a philosophy to answer that question. You can, data can help you with that. You can A-B test it. You can see which one works and that's what you, but the goal of being, of, of having engaged customers in whatever it is that you're trying to, to have, get them interested in that one, there's a little bit more judgment that comes in, into play there. The, the, how you choose your priorities, how you how you decide really what it is that you're trying to do as a business, even those are questions where data can potentially inform what the expected outcomes of those decisions might be, but the the actual choice to 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 do those things is one that oftentimes you're going to find yourself leading on your gut and your intuition. And, you know, the best leaders are the ones that, you know, just kind of make the call. They see it, they have a vision and whatever it is that they, however that comes about that, that, that something from nothing decision-making is probably rooted in personal philosophies that they have, whether they recognize it or not. And so that's really how those two things work in harmony. In my, in my view, it's let's, let's look at the backlog. What's in the backlog and what should we focus on? And let's say, okay, well, we're going to focus on the best possible, most engaging front end UX. Okay, cool. We, we've decided that because we, we believe that that's the thing that's going to bring the most you know, harmony to our systems. Now let's look at how to do that through the data that we collect through engagement and through measurement. Nice. And um, are you able to share an experience where the fusion of philosophy and data-driven decisions led to a sec? A successful outcome in a technology project yeah <clears throat> so i will say you know successful technology projects 
are are successful in part because not not just because you've built something that's great and that works, but because you've got users, because you've got stakeholders, you, mm. because you've got you know the people that are it's it's really successful because people use it and and because it's you know had a meaningful change in in the business if that's what you're if you're building a business application, and so you know I, I had I've had experiences where I was leading consumer engagement. This is obviously you can tell it's a common theme because this has been my mm-hmm. special consumer engagement. So leading a consumer engagement, outbound communication for, you know, a pretty big cloud technology provider. And the, you know, it's an enormous company with lots of different business units and lots of different products and a bunch of stakeholders who all had interest in reaching individual customers. And they would be sending, sending emails out to, to encourage this engagement way more people that wanted to talk to customers than we wanted to send emails out. So you know, if we, if we sent an email out for every, every, you know, person in the business that wanted to send out an email, our customers would have been getting hundreds of emails a day. And so that we needed some sort of prioritization mechanism. The prioritization mechanism had been based on, you know, self-identified priorities within those, those businesses and also leadership priorities around certain initiatives that would be happening. So if we were doing big events, big events would be the things that we wanted to prioritize. So those would end up going top of the top of the list. My view is that, 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 that there was, that was not going to produce the best outcomes. It's not in the best interest of the customers. It's, it wasn't really accounting for the performance of those individual communications and whether or not customers were going to get value out of those communications and do the things that they were being asked to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, fast forward to, to my engagement in this, in this scenario, it appeared to me that a data-driven approach was, was what was necessary. Some prioritization, some automation, some way to, to just to kind of calm the, the chaos and the noise from all these different stakeholders, you know, pounding an operations team that was still trying to sort through these self-declared priorities and, and somehow create a good email experience. And so, and so I said, Hey, let's, let's, instead of, of kind of letting you all set your own priorities, why don't we try and think about the customer first and how can we, how can we pick things that, that to talk to the customers about that we think that they want, that they'll appreciate and that they'll engage with. And the reason, and so that meant building out a, a system in order to, to do this. So the, the, the ways in which the philosophy apply here are getting stakeholder buy-in was not, it's not easy in those kind of scenarios because you're asking stakeholders now to, to hand over their, their decision-making mm-hmm. to, to an automation system. And lots of folks, you know, potentially could be sending out less emails and, you know, there's gonna be winners and losers in that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And so what I found really helpful from a, from a philosophy perspective was to be able to articulate to all of the stakeholders the ways in which all of our communications can merge together and connect to create a single experience for our customers. And that, and that they, as you know, pieces of a, a bigger puzzle of a company that wants to drive value overall, should get behind that and they should endorse that. That our method for, you know, we wanted to build a, a method for, for choosing that was relatively simple to understand that balanced the considerations of value to customers versus the need for the business to generate more business. We needed to be able to adapt in a sense of uh, understanding when, if, if customers weren't interacting with our communication, how could we, you know, 
reassess our algorithm and send new new pieces out. And so being able to have a clear vision for what a technology solution should look like and explain it in simple terms, go back to stakeholders and and have them understand it because that's how we were describing it in simple terms that, that could make sense. And then to contextualize their role as part of an interconnected whole, all of that stuff together made, you know, fit into making this project be successful. And, and so we, we released it. And then of course the, the data-driven decision-making then kicks in after that, you know, what's working, what's not, how do we optimize the selection, you know, and that mm. kind of stuff. And so, and so we, we saw great results, great returns and, and folks were, were ultimately very happy about it. Brilliant. And in the initial stages, obviously, if you're doing something brand new and innovative, you won't have data to make any decisions. So it sounds like there was that. How do you how do you set up the process to get data? And it's it's all inevitably that feedback loop with the customer, but doing it in a way that doesn't upset them or stop them from providing feedback or cutting off that communication. Because mm-hmm. I guess one of the, th- the principles of Tate Ching, and correct me if I'm wrong, is being in harmony with your environment. So yeah. trying to trying to align to it. So there's an element of contextual awareness and also yeah not trying to suck up too much of to get what you need but be efficient with it so um and um and it sounds like because you had a great result it was clearly the right strategy at the time were there any other specific principles at play during that um that kind of the the communication if you will between the market and the business Okay, so so a couple of things. One thing to just to note in general about the data collection piece of it and the setting up the feedback loops and something new, that type of stuff. So the approach is, you know, in in, in trying to embody, uh, you know, a sense of simplicity and also, I, I guess that this you could feel you could say this potentially like a, a lean in on the harmony. We want to use as much of what's already there as we can, and so. Even though we're we're creating a new method for selecting whole new algorithms and ways in which we want to deliver stuff, we didn't want to introduce a change in the experience, it, it, like from of the actual like I want to open up an email, like that that part is still the same, and so mm-hmm. we wanted to still leverage the same understanding that we had already had, and then but just kind of uh, use it to create experiments that would measure the impact of how, what we're doing algorithmically different in the back. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And then in terms of the, the principles of communication or how they would apply to the communication between the business and the, and the customer, there is definitely, you know, a lesson here. You'll notice again, simplicity is the one that, that is the easiest. It's the lowest hanging fruit and the easiest one to kind of find examples that to sort of example for this. When you are communicating with a, a customer via email, for example, and you want to understand whether or not the thing that you're saying to like what interests them are, are do they find the communication compelling it's much much easier to do when you're only talking about one thing and the more variables that you add into it the more topics that you're trying to discuss the much harder it becomes to really untangle you know what what was compelling and interesting for the for the customer versus versus stuff that just happened to be filler in in what mm. they perceived and not only are, are you able to get more precise signals on 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 what, a, what your customer's interested in by simplifying the communication down to you know 
simple, you know, single message type of stuff. Th- those messages also become much more effective because when they, when you do, when they are resonant with, with your customers, the data suggests that they'll interact with them more because they're not sifting through stuff that they don't necessarily care about. And they'll become more engaged because they believe that the communication that you're sending out to them will consistently, if you, if you've done your algorithms correctly, will consistently add value to their you know experience with your brand or your company. Interesting. Thank you. And in terms of moving on to kind of the idea of corporate values and culture and then applying those philosophical principles from the Tao Te Ching, how can how can it influence corporate values and culture when it's in a, shall we say, technology company that deals with kind of code and algorithms and processes and frameworks that are, I guess, structured, rigid in nature? Mm-hmm. Or precise. So- Maybe rigid isn't the right word, uh, but more you know, defined, you know, sorry. If, uh... No, no, that, yeah, no, I get you. So, so corporate culture is, you know, it's an interesting thing. The, 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 the methods that technology teams use to, to develop their technology is not all always fully attached to the corporate culture, whatever that corporate culture might be. And so let's say if you're doing, if you're doing agile development in the pure agile way, and you're, you know, adhering to the 12 principles of agile development and that kind of stuff, you're, you are still kind of operating in a way where it's, it's, you know, product teams are setting priorities. I mean, this is a typical organizational structure. It's not always the case, but, you know, you'll have a, you know, a product person who's done the work of, you know, prioritizing certain features understanding the users, you know, deciding what it is that we're trying to build that's going to add some value. And then really effective engineering teams can take those as requirements and then, you know, deliver quality applications and software that is, you know, durable and secure and, you know, and all those types of things. And then there's an overlay where, you know, where where corporate culture comes into play is in how how that the interplay between those two teams works, how, how product folks deliver their requirements and how they're taking in and how, and, you know, is it, uh, you know, the degree to which engineering teams can kind of push back on product folks and, you know, and, and challenge them. And do you have a culture where everybody, you know, kind of speaks up and is it a egalitarian type of thing or is it very leadership driven and top down kind of thing? And then in between those, those sort of, you know, there's, there's potentially two opposites. You've also got the the kinds of the aspects of corporate culture that that build stuff like like earning trust and mm-hmm. and you know where you, you do you value innovation over kind of long lasting kind of enterprise systems. And not to say that you couldn't have both, but that's sort of where the where the balance comes into play. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this is all to, to basically just say that that the that that. It's not always the case that a, that a you know co- corporate culture in itself go, trickles all the way down to the way in which quality applications are built. However, if you do have the right kind of corporate culture, if you did have one, if you if you adopt these ideas, these kind of Taoist principles, and if you think about harmony, and if you and if you as a culture all ag- agree 
that these attributes are are virtuous and that and that you know effortless action is some ideal then you know that everybody in the company is looking at things in the same way and you know that everybody's asking themselves the same questions and so that you know that when a product person is asking for something that they've considered the balance of things and a good corporate culture in my view creates a shortcut to a lot of different and a lot of different scenarios meetings run faster because everybody's asked themselves the same questions already everybody already comes with the same answers because they know what the questions are going to be and so that's that's i i guess the you know the, the key of it is if you can if you can create a you know adapt a good corporate culture and and i think that the the principle of the Tao Te Ching is one of the best ones because it it is all encompassing it's something that everybody can get on the same page about because it has an application in every different dimension mm. you know it's like i i don't know that you necessarily want if you're if innovation is a corporate culture do you want your security guys innovating really or do you want your security guys thinking about <laughs> like you know what's the best practice and so, and that's why I think stuff like the, the Tao Te Ching and, and its principles have a little bit better of an application. Makes sense. And to be honest, I think these days, maybe security guys innovating isn't a choice, especially in cybersecurity, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying yeah. to overcome people who are, who can mimic your, even your bio data, so your voice and your face, etc. I don't know how that is possible, but I imagine there's some unethical people there thinking, oh, AI has got a lot of opportunities for doing things that aren't ethical. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and they say a lot about that. And that's a whole other conversation <laughs> right yeah. there. But um, I think pulling it back, um, very interesting. You mentioned kind of like the trade-off between an organization that continuously evolves and changes and another organization that may be has been investing gradually and slowly built up a platform that is more about leaving a legacy that doesn't change, that is somewhat enduring. And then that's probably built upon something that may or may not eventually die out because it, it becomes, shall we say, uh, obsolete at some point when it's it fails to stay in harmony with the environment, uh, to put it to I put it in Tate change terms, but um, I guess in your view, what are those key challenges in integrating philosophical principles into corporate culture, and how can these be overcome for the right, the right, I guess, cultural design that will lead to long-term success in a business? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think the. The, the the philosophical principles that are the most valuable sort of takeaways from from the Tao Te Ching and, and you know and kind of from what I'm I guess I'm advocating as a as a good corporate culture are ones that that sh that prioritize a, a a kind of place in the whole and it's your the way that you as an individual are connected to your co your coworkers who are all connected to you know a mission and and you know presumably trying to add value to to your customers and getting companies to getting individuals to embody that corporate culture the, the you know the big challenge it seems to me has been that those don't always align with individual performance goals and objectives I would like to advance my career. I want to get promoted. I want to get paid more. 
I, you know, and then I want to go home and be with my family. <laughs> and I don't really like, I'm not, I'm, I, I don't necessarily know that I'm, I'm bought into this idea that I'm, you know, like, I don't want to be a part of the Borg, which, you know, potentially could sound as if that's the direction you're going. And, you know, and so that's natural. And I think, you know, we all, you know, depending on how we view a work-life balance and how much we enjoy our jobs, sometimes we just want to maximize personal returns and then go, go back to our, our own lives. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the the things about good corporate culture is that you can you can provide a counterbalance to that and hopefully let people not feel drained but feel you know actually connected to something and and feel that there's there is value there more than just the paycheck and the job mm-hmm. and it's really this is you know I think it's really on on leaders to do this to leaders who can draw the straight line between adopting these kind of principles and not only being able to have see their job flow easier and just and 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 be less stressful because everybody's working in you know together and in balance and 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 in harmony and so the environment itself gets better but that that also it does foster you know an an attention to what i would say an attention to excellence where individuals can can make good progress on all kinds of initiatives and be, and be recognized for their achievements and be promoted. And, and so it, it's really on, on leaders to, to, you know, sort of, I guess starts at the top, if you will, on, on this one, where if they can, if, if they can articulate the, the value, they can articulate that they're bought into it and that, and that there is a straight line connection between the principles of this philosophy and individual performance and, and opportunity. I think that's really the way to get those things moving in. Yeah, brilliant. And um, in terms of practical philosophy for decision making on an individual level, and for the benefit of our listeners, how would they? How would an individual develop their own practical philosophical framework for business decision making if they were in the tech industry? Hmm. So if you were to take, take the Tao Ching off the table and just say in general, how, how mm. would you, you know, reap the benefits of a practical philosophy on your own? So I would say that, the, that, the, that you would start from a position of, of authenticity and simplicity. So I think we all want to be able to feel that we, that our lives are, our individual lives are, are in harmony and that we're, that, that, that the beliefs that we have in home about, at home about what's right and what's wrong are beliefs that transfer when we're at our workplace and that we don't want to feel like when we step into the office that we're somebody else, somebody that we're not. And so I think the first step is probably identifying those, those and, and recognizing that that's, that, that, is a, that that's a goal. And then I would go with um, trying to find a, a decision-making framework that is, that is simple enough to, to be able to you know rattle off in your head but that you can easily adopt into some sort of intuition for yourself mm. and you know there's 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 a few i think obviously the the you know the four principles we've talked about in the Tao Te Ching are a thing but you know aristotle and his whole four causes the material cause and the efficient and if you if you look at those that's an interesting way of looking at the world and that's a interesting way of being able to ask yourself questions and you know have we thought about you know, who asked for this, what's it made of and, you know, and so on down the list. So I think that that's, that, that would be a kind of a second component to it. 
and then I guess lastly, I would say, you know, once you've, once you've sort of committed to some sort of authenticity and you've found that there's a few set of principles that really re- reflect your ideas and your ideals and that they are, that you think that they have some utility in, in answering questions, measure it, try it and see if it works. Uh, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, an important part of, of pretty much anything as, as we were saying, talking earlier about, you know, the way that data driven decisions work with, with these other kind of decisions, it's take the steps see if you're getting the results that you want, you know, tweak it, optimize it, see what, what has, you know, how it actually is paying off for you. That's brilliant. Thank you, Daryl. And wow, that, that, (laughs) that time flew by and I really appreciate all your insights. I guess before we wrap up, would you mind sharing anything besides is it mainly your book that's your project or is there anything you'd like to mention that you're particularly proud of in terms of projects <laughs> well y- your intro was a was a was a, a great overview of all of the various things that <laughs> that i have interest in but but i think that i think the book right now is is something that i would really i would like to you know for more people to read into and to you know, I think, cause I think there's a lot of value in that. And I think that there's, mm. so, yeah, the book is the architect way. It's a, available on Amazon and you can go to the architect com and it'll redirect you to the book. If uh, you want a simple way to get to it. Yep. And I'll make sure that the links are in the show notes. So no, no worries about that. And please guys, I recommend Daryl's clearly a very deep thinker and also can articulate that, those thoughts. So um, I feel like I've, I've got I've increased my IQ just by talking to him so thanks Daryl and um and finally before we uh, wrap up can you share how our audience can connect with you online if they want to find out more about your work so LinkedIn is actually the the place especially for this type of stuff LinkedIn is would be a great way to reach out and connect and and learn more and I guess keep, keep, I've got an audio version of the book coming soon. So if you wanted to hear when that came out LinkedIn would be a good place to get that. <laughs> and then of course I, I do have a, a website, canals.net, which is just a, a cornucopia of random projects that I've worked on over the years, but that's another place where you can, you can reach me. Okay. Thank you, Daryl. It's been an absolute pleasure and um, audience. If you, uh, if you, uh, found value in this uh you've been listening to business breaks with daryl Knaus and myself dante healy daryl thank you very much for your time thank you so much for having me it's great i really enjoyed it thanks same here business breaks all things business podcast with dante healy and john byrne